0: Netta Porte presents the Incredible Women Podcast. Series one.
1: Celebrating togetherness. Hello, Carrie. Hello, Emerald. Where are you? I am in my husband's studio. That's quite cool, isn't it? It is quite cool. It's very cool. In the countryside? In the countryside, yeah. Lovely. It's the one space where my children can't find me. <laughs> But they yes. are at school right now. But
2: yeah, in general, is my hiding place. Where are you? Yeah. I'm in London. I'm equally at the top of some very steep stairs in order to dissuade any little feet <laughs> cl- climbing up. Yes. Welcome to Celebrating Togetherness by Netta Porte.
0: I'm Sarah Bailey. In this series, we are joined by pairs of incredible women, friends, Family members and creative collaborators, as they share intimate memories, moments of truth, and some much needed laughter. In a year like no other, these are stories about life in
2: 2020 and beyond, and the strength we draw through personal connections. I did quickly, since it's Vanetta Porte, want mm. to ask some quick fashion questions, if that is all right. 100%. So, number one, if you can steal something from net and they're never going to notice, what are you stealing?
1: I was literally on the um, app last night. I look at my wish list? Yes. Do you have a wish list? I mean, I keep it in the checker and then I go yeah. back and think, do I really want that? But I'm sort of, I'm, I keep on kind of going and putting my credit card details and <laughs> removing them.
2: I've currently got about 17 items in my mm. cart and I keep buying kind of sequin dresses and skirts mm. I'm never ever going to be able to wear in these COVID times I, know. I think I'm kind of living this parallel universe where if I think you know if it's in my wardrobe mm. it might happen well, I also went through a very heavy tracksuit phase in lockdown of just wanting to wear tracksuits yeah totally I'm, I'm kind of really wanting to get back into the velour Oh yeah. vibes the Paris Nicole 2004 yeah, yeah. pastel I mean that's... which you could definitely do if you were still in LA I think the issue for me now um as a crone is that <laughs> I'm not sure that the sweet hugging caress of yeah. toweling is yeah. gonna be quite so good on my body these days no Sadly. I disagree fully disagree with that In this episode,
0: we spend some time with close friends and collaborators, Carey Mulligan and Emerald Fennell, as they share stories about being rookie actors, wild costume changes off and on set, a passion for all things Christmassy, and what you do when Baz Luhrmann calls you on your mobile. Emerald Fennell, the writer, director and actor, currently playing Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown, was determined to cast Carey Mulligan in her directorial debut, Promising Young Woman. It's one of the most audacious and surprising films of the year, a pitch-dark revenge thriller about consent on campus, in which Carey plays Cassie, a woman seeking revenge for a tragic event in her past. However, it was not the first time the pair had worked together
2: what we realised when we were filming the film Mm. Promising Young Woman, starring Carrie Mulligan, Mm. um, (laughs) is (laughs) is that we actually had met before because Um, we had both been in an episode of Trial and Retribution as teenagers, almost as I I think, certainly my first job and maybe your second or third. Yeah, absolutely. It was before I went to university and I was playing big shocker, nightmarish posh girl.
1: <laughs> but wait, I have to ask. It was a real were, stretch. Did you audition for it? Of course I did, May. Did what you What did not? the audition entail? Of course I did. Yeah, I know, but my I had like a slightly bigger part than you. Oh,
2: I was, I oh was very the, rude. I was the victim of the murder. I believe I had a name, Carrie, and that name was Sheena. <laughs> Thank was you. Sheena. Yes, I was. And I did audition and I um, auditioned a kind of interrogation scene.
1: Did you? Yeah, I. I don't. I think you did have a bigger part than me. I just was more. I was the. I was the murdered murder victim. I spent a lot of time with my eyes closed.
2: I think <laughs> staying really still, trying uh, to breathe. That's acting. Uh-huh. Um. I mean. I think. No. I just remember being so unbelievably nervous auditioning, and then and getting the part. And I just just thought, this is it. Mm. <laughs> This, this is, is just it. the most exciting time. day of my life. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I distinctly really remember was. being like, "Ooh,
1: am I going to be able to go on the tube after this?" <laughs> be like, "Excuse me, Miss." <gasps> oh my gosh, it's the girl from Sorry, is it Murdered Girl?
2: sins of the father. <laughs> um, yeah, that um, was so. That was our first meeting. That was our first meeting, and and I and I was thinking about going back to it, and and all of that early, the kind of early stuff of, and I suppose I was working. A little bit before that, I was working for your agent Tor Belfridge. I was her assistant, her very bad, very hungover teenage assistant. She said um, you were brilliant. Well, she's a lovely liar. So we kind of vaguely were in the same I don't know, we we were well, kind I'm of sure nearly I came into the office in that time. I don't think you was I don't before my time. No, no, no. You had just been signed. And I remember the excitement. There was such a sense of excitement in the office because Tor, who really doesn't take on very many people, you know, she has, as you know, she's sort of got just a very small roster of clients and and she was just so excited and she knew that you were just a genius. And then a few years later, I guess, an education came out and I sort of, because I think I'd been sending your photographs, your signed photographs out oh, is yeah. one of my jobs. And I was yeah. like, yes. So I sort of felt like, in a way, I'd been responsible for your success. <laughs> and that, that,
1: is, that has stayed with me. Um, yeah, so that was. And then on set, we realised when we were watching, we found that episode on YouTube. And then we realised that a very young Michael Fassbender played the detective. <laughs> I know. Shame. And and you
2: yeah. never realised this on the film
1: Shape. Never. No, but I don't think... It would have been you who had a scene with him, not me. I didn't have a scene with him. Oh, you didn't have a scene? Maybe you got interrogated by the other one.
2: Yes, I got interrogated by someone else. And I think I'd remember being interrogated by Michael Fassbender. Yeah. Sadly, that... Surely did sure. not happen. But so then afterwards, we met very briefly at tea. And you were on your way to the <laughs> Killing Eve wrap party. Yeah. Wearing those trousers. <laughs> so I was wearing some PVC trousers yes. and they'd split at the crotch.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and so I think the almost the first thing I said to you was, what the hell am I going to do about my crotch? Yeah, but so, let's just eat cake. We yeah. just sat and ate cake. Yeah, here. we sat and ate cake and then... Um, And I think at that point, or perhaps just after, it was when I'd sent Tor the script for Promising a Woman and said, do you think there's just any way in the world that Carrie would even think about doing this? And then you read it very kindly and we had a coffee and you sat down and you said, I'm not supposed to say this, (laughs) but I'm in. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I know. Well, I've gotten in trouble in the past being like over, in the, but uh, so Torza was like, "Don't say yes until we've had a conversation." That she doesn't let me get into sort of sticky situations. But yeah, I just couldn't not. It was so. And I also like it, it's always the same with great scripts that I end up sort of being lucky enough to do that I remember like I have a memory of where I was standing in my house when I read it, and I so remember reading, promising a woman and being like, "What the." heck am I going to do with this? Um, um, How do I do this? Why does she think I should do this? This is mental. Um, Those are all my feelings. And yeah, it was just ridiculous. I remember before we went to Sundance, I was speaking to somebody about going out and they said, are you nervous about people seeing it? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm nervous to see it or like to see it with an audience, I guess. So you're always nervous to see yourself. But am I nervous about people or generally reception? And I suppose it has like people, you know, it's not a it's not a Jane Austen movie, you know, and I think it has sort of there is. I mean, there's an, always an element of risk in filmmaking. I think in everything we do, there's a risk of being, you know, of how the product or the film will end up. But did you feel? that you were taking a risk in telling this story?
2: I don't know. It's an interesting question. Like, I think that... <clears throat> I think it only really feels like a risk if you're trying to do something that you don't wholeheartedly believe in. I think I would have felt much, much more anxious if there were parts of the movie that I thought, "Oh, you know, maybe you should have done this or maybe this wasn't the right call. But, but I think that it is... It is unapologetically, I suppose, the thing that it is. Mm. And because it was very low budget movie, because we had a very short time to do it, I think that that for me certainly psychologically psychologically mitigated the risk because I thought, like, this is this is a small thing that can be small but powerful. It's kind of none of my business whether people like it or not, in a weird way. But I mean, did you, you're coming from a very different situation, obviously, where you're very established and each decision you make is quite, you know, has a bearing on your next decisions. Like, how how are you in terms of taking a film like this? Obviously, such a small film with such a small budget with a new person.
1: Well, no, I mean, I didn't feel that at all. I didn't feel like that was a risk. I knew that you from the I mean, when I read the script I thought like oh my gosh how do I do that and then you showed me the f- references and then I met you and I understood your sense of humor and your wit and your intelligence I was like oh this is a no-brainer I wasn't remotely nervous of what, how the film would turn out like I didn't I don't think you can ever anticipate that it's going to be you know the complete masterwork that it was that you made but I don't I didn't feel any risk in terms of that and I don't think I feel risk in terms of telling this story at all I think like you said like We've been, you know women have been talking about this stuff for millennia yeah. there's just nothing new here really it's just you know so I don't feel no I didn't feel a risk and I do think any element of risk as in like how will I be perceived in this or can I pull this off is the only reason I do the job is that you if you do something you know is going to be successful in terms of your work repeatedly then it's just completely dull so yeah. I, every job I do I want it to be like maybe it won't work out like it, it has to feel like it could i could fall flat on my face otherwise i think doing jobs where i'm confident that i could do it you know well is just not not why i'm kind of doing this
2: thank god you did do it because you are an absolutely brilliantly professional makes you sound like you're sort of turning up with a clipboard and in a sort of sensible suit but but I mean, what i, do, I mean is that yeah. yes of course you do yeah <laughs> And so what is your experience? Obviously, you've done huge films, You did The Great Gatsby, you did Shame, you did Drive, you've worked with the Coen brothers. Do you feel a difference between those kinds of independent movies and the bigger movies in terms of performance? Well, first first off, not to make
1: this into a massive mutual appreciation society, <laughs> but I do think that the, the vibe on Promising Young Woman was set by you. I think I've learned, you know, that my favourite films are the the small, quick shoots. They're sort of heartbreaking because you do fall in love
2: with everyone and then you have to say goodbye to
1: them almost overnight.
2: Yeah. How do you navigate when you're working with somebody who actually you're not sure that you're on the same creative wavelength with?
1: You know, I've really, as the more I do this, the more I think, right, I'm just going to not work with anyone I don't like. And I don't care if they're some sort of complete genius. Like if they're not really nice, I just don't want to do it. Because it's just like time away from your family and your friends. And I think if you're not having fun, there's just no reason why this job shouldn't just be fun.
2: Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I, I agree with you. I mean, my experience as an actress has been when friction happens, it's when directors overstep yeah. and give much, much, much too much guidance or line readings or they're just, they're just tormenting their actors basically but I really like being a sort of actor for hire like I don't I really don't ever
1: want to watch the monitor I don't want to see what you're I I, I don't know anything about camera setup things I don't know what the focus puller I don't know how that works I don't know what like none of it makes any sense to me but I don't want to like it's not my job I don't want to be you know, I just want to do the, my bit.
2: Are there any costumes just from any of your movies? Obviously, you've just been in so many great ones. Are there any ones that you've got a real soft spot for? Well, you think I'm going to tell you my favourites. Yeah, I
1: was going to ask. I was going to, I was going to say there must be, um, you must have, I mean, you were on Killing Eve. Oh, So, yeah. I mean, not that you were acting in that, but, you know, I was going to say Camilla, but I don't know if you wanted to keep any of those. Oh, clothes. <laughs> oh, have
2: clothes. That do you know want? what? Actually, I loved it. Because it's a sensible cardi, some wellies and and a tweed skirt. And actually there's something, it's that thing and kind of what I was going to ask you about. It's just that thing when the moment and the moment you put it on, you know, the smell of a barber, the smell of a wool cardi in the rain and the Camilla teeth that I have and her amazing kind of iconic hair it's just you're kind of there already because actually, I, I mean, I I very rarely have had to be sexy in anything, thank God. But, you know, just it's unnerving having to wear something sort of sexy or revealing. So there's something so freeing about being the sort of woman, playing the sort of woman who just wears what's comfortable because it's still so rare. Mm. And I mean, when you're getting dressed, are there, are there costumes that you kind of put on and you felt like, yeah, OK, I know who I am now?
1: I mean, yeah, the nurse mm-hmm. costume in Promising Young Woman. I was like, oh, okay, I can, I know, I know what to do in this sort of based on movies I've seen. That dress that I wore in Promising Young Woman for the high ponytail contour, you know, I was so self conscious in that. And you were like, that's the dress, and everyone was, you know, and it is, it is totally, and it's a good dress to feel vulnerable in, actually, because yes. she
2: is, you know, she's not feeling like amazing. I mean, Nancy Steiner's costume designer. And she is, I mean, basically, we were just so excited because she did Virgin Suicides and she did Twin Peaks and she's just completely legendary. And Mm. I know that one of the things that we talked about right at the beginning when we first met was kind of how Cassie looked and that Mm. it was really important that she was ultra feminine and seemed completely kind of. She was hiding in plain sight, yeah. so it's very tactile. And
1: yeah, and you said um, you said I, did, I This isn't a story about a woman in a grey cardigan crying by the window. Yeah, and I was like, I'm
2: in. <laughs> Let's do it, because most of my <laughs> other films have been about that. So, <laughs> and was there a look that you were that you particularly loved? Like if you're if you're doing Halloween, Cassie. Yeah, is there anything that you're doing? Well, the obvious choice
1: is the nurse costume, actually. That is that. That's That's what we hoped, right? That's yeah. our hope is that that becomes the Halloween costume, and also high, high ponytail, contour
2: face, sort of very drunk girl makeup, full body con, um, mm. selling sunset. My mum didn't know that was me. Honestly, honestly, when we were in the edit, the editor was like, he couldn't believe it. It's it's really astonishing. It's quite chilling, actually. Yeah, because it, it she makes looks her like a. Yeah, she she looks like a predator. Yes,
1: that's what I saw. And say. it's
2: yeah, yeah it's a really, yeah. really, it's really wonderful. So one of the things I sent you, Kerry, when uh, I asked you to be in the film was a Spotify playlist of the songs I wanted to be in the movie, and actually a few of them are specified in the script. Mm. You know, we had top. Sick by Britney Spears we had Charlie XCX Boys we had something wonderful from The King and I and most crucially we had um, Stars of Blind by Paris Hilton my favorite song ever written Um, when you hear a playlist that's that intimidatingly good how like what's your relationship with that kind of um, sort of early 21st century like female pop artists
1: oh absolutely very positive one I used to listen to so much pop music at school that my friends couldn't bear that they termed the kind of music that I listened to Carrie Trash. <laughs> and it would be like, it, it would be, I'd be blasting it for, I went to a boarding school for the last four years of my education and they, I'd be blasting it from my bedroom. And they'd be like, oh yeah, Carrie Trash again. and they were wouldn't, they listening I, to? They wouldn't tolerate it. And
2: Yeah. Ugh. Oh,
1: like cool stuff, like God.
2: Radiohead. I absolutely things. love
1: I love Radiohead on. too. Of
2: course, I love everything. <laughs> I have almost no discernment. There's just something so wonderful about those songs. There's something so thrilling about female pop artists in particular. And 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 it, it hmm. takes you. There's a moment in our film where, you know, you hear Toxic by Britney Spears. And the reaction in hmm. at Sundance in the room when people hurt you know, you just saw oh, all man. of the women, you know, particularly women like our age, but all of them. Everyone suddenly sat up. It's this like it gives you this sort of primal response in a funny way. And um, but I mean, yeah. in terms of music, I'm with you. I just I I just I I love everything. I I like what music where I can hear all the words <laughs> and
1: I understand. And it's got the a lovely of, tune. That's why I like oh. Taylor Swift so much. And it's got a lovely tune that I can remember. I that's why I like Billie Eilish oh. so much because I can understand. Oh my god, I love her. Ooh, I can understand all of it. Yeah. I don't like it when people sort of mumble.
2: Well, quite, and and also I'm afraid I'm afraid to say <laughs> in life <laughs> that there are some actors who are guilty of that crime. There's a lot of mumbling. <laughs> Enunciate! <laughs> Come on, children.
1: What's this? I want the song to be about uh, you know an engagement that almost didn't happen. Oh. You know, that's what I want. That's that's the kind of music I like. But I wanted to be a musical theatre actress when I was younger. So it's my, I want stories in my songs. Oh, my God. Remem-
2: choruses that you can remember. I know, I agree. I think it's, and I think, again, it's like there's there's something, it, it's sort of supposed to be uncool to sort of want music to actually kind of touch you emotionally. But I just, I just want to be touched. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I only want to cry. I know, me too. <laughs> the most listened to 100%. on my yeah. Spotify is absolutely... Taylor Swift and Billie Eilish I would say and of course I sent you a screenshot of Mumford and Sons which was my Spotify like 10 year my favourite my favourite ever but so going back to I wanted to just quickly touch on um The Great Gatsby because I think you're just amazing in it and Baz Luhrmann's one of my favourite directors and I had a I was so in love with Leonardo DiCaprio age 11 that Primetime Video asked me they called my mother um, and asked her to get me to stop calling to find out when Romeo and Juliet arrived on VHS because I'd called them 17 times. And they said, they, could, no, they called her and they were like, no, you've got to stop your daughter. It's not coming in today. And I was like, I've read in oh Ms. Magazine that it is out today. Yeah, yeah. Ms. Magazine. Were you allowed to read? I wasn't allowed to read Ms. Of course I was. My parents were lax as all hell, I'm afraid. <laughs> That's true. Um, but so but so what was it cuz I suppose that was the first movie where like you'd been nominated for an Oscar and obviously you're a genius and you've been working with all these auteurs but then this was like such a like huge thing. How did you feel like what like you get the call that you're playing Daisy Buchanan what Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be um Gatsby you hang up the phone to talk whoever it is who tells you Look, what do you do?
1: Well it was super super dramatic the whole thing. So Around the time, there'd been lots in the press about who was being considered. And it was sort of felt like this real, like, sort of America's got talent thing. You know, The Great Gatsby is a very famous book and it's a beautiful book, but it's not like our Pride and Prejudice. You know, it's it's, it's if you grew up in America, it is part of your upbringing. Everyone does it at school and whatever. So if I had been playing Elizabeth Bennet, I think I would have been freaking out because, but I didn't have any preconceived ideas of who Daisy was. And I'd never seen any other adaptations. But yeah, it was, but it felt like a real like pipe dream shot in the dark audition process. But yeah, I auditioned with Leo and then. Leo, <laughs> Leo. sorry, no, mate. No, I love
2: it. I'm, li- I'm living uh, for this. We've actually never had this conversation. So this is, I feel like I've really. <laughs> I, no, you into- I know, I've been so brave. And with Margot Robbie, who produced our film, who has worked with him twice. I've been I know. very discreet
1: well and that she's the one to grill on we'll get her next time (laughs) um but yeah so I auditioned and then I got called back I think it was like the next day or the day after like pretty quickly to do a full screen test things they put me in a costume and you know Baz was taking pictures and there were like multiple cameras but it was all in this it was really fun and lovely I think I might have had a beer first because I was worried about my American accent (laughs) so I was like that'll help (laughs) And so, yeah, and then anyway, so then there was a while, there was a couple of, and I can't, I was filming Drive at the time. So I was going back to LA and I came to New York because I was presenting an award to Karl Lagerfeld at some Vogue fashion thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, my life was so very sexy, interesting and sexy. (laughs) It does not feel like that now. Um, But in that brief moment of having such a sexy life, I was (laughs) in New York and I was at this thing and the brilliant Catherine Martin Came over with her phone and she said, There's someone on the phone for you. And it was (gasps) Baz, I know. And he went, Oh my God. And I picked up the phone and went, Hello. And he went, Hello, Daisy. And I was like, (gasps) Started crying, you know, whatever. And still surrounded by all of these people. And it was a lot. And so then I went and partied. Like it was. Yeah, boy. Nineteen twenty <laughs> something, <laughs> exactly. and then I had to get back on a plane and carry on filming on drive the next day, and I got like a four or five a.m. flight or something ridiculous. Ooh. With yeah, did you have to get in a car? I had to get in a car?
2: Oh no! And I can you. see the
1: shot and drive, and I see it every time. Not every time, but I can see there's a, there's a, every time I watch it, every time I watch it once a week when I watch myself and Ryan Gosling, um, but I've seen it. Just fast fast forward to the bit where you kiss. Yeah, exactly. Uh, To the, to the montage. I, I can see the shot in the film where we, because it was a pickup of the sequence right before we go um, driving down the LA river basin. And I look really, really disgustingly hungover. (laughs) (laughs) but I was very transparent about it I was like look guys I just got this like massive ridiculous job Um, and I partied and you know I was young (laughs) what are you going to do what are you going to do about it Um, but it was very very like oh gosh like you know I mean that is how you imagine when you're younger that you get jobs you know it's like someone rings you and says something incredibly kind of romantic and dramatic like that like Baz did but that's not really generally how it happens as you know so that was pretty cool yeah it was pretty cool Christmas this year will be rule of sixish. Who are you getting rid of? <laughs> I know it's like my lifeboat. Yeah, um, yeah. I know it's going to be little, isn't it? Well, I love Christmas. I'm... I know I love Christmas. Okay, Don't get I, me wrong. No, no, no I, I'm not underplaying sorry. my enthusiasm. For Christmas. Sorry, I love Christmas. No, I actually okay, am right. a complete nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> One year we were at my parents'. We were, we, my parents used to have a little flat in Austria. So we were in Austria and I was staying across the road in a hotel with Marcus because my brother was staying in the apartment with them. So we, we woke up on Christmas Day and we walked over to the apartment to see my parents and my brother. And um, and as a gag, when I walked in, my brother was pretending to unwrap a present and I thought <gasps> that they had started unwrapping and I cried. <laughs> And I had to go to the bathroom and I was so, I was like, I really, I was like, fur- I felt like I was 12 again and I wanted to like punch him in the face. I was so upset and so cross and I had to get sort of gently talked out of it by the rest so of my life. And it was
2: so embarrassing because when you realise... So embarrassing because then I realised that it was a gag. But the rage you know, I, is
1: still there. You're still angry. Yeah, the rage, I was still so, I was furious because they, I like, yeah, and it just felt like this sort of, oh, so that's how much I love Christmas. How much do you love Christmas? I mean
2: there it's it's completely it's also my whole family is christmas crazy so and there are lots of traditions pushing it doing the tree with phil Spector's christmas hits on yes um the stocking situation has gotten so out of hand now that we sort of have to do it secretly away from Outsider eyes, i.e., me and my sisters sort of partners, because it's too embarrassing to see just <laughs> because we but because yeah. we get things for each other's stockings almost all year round. Oh, so, that's so it nice. it sort of it becomes it's sort of nightmarish, actually, in a way. Yeah. It's a bit like we we can't we can't stop. And um I don't know, Telly, it's just an excuse to eat and Muppets Christmas Carol. Muppets Christmas Carol. Um <sighs> it's a wonderful me. life. I mean yeah. it's the best elf. I'd love to make a Christmas film, actually. Yeah, Christmas films are great. But I suppose my particular, (laughs) I don't know, my particular vibe doesn't maybe lend itself to
1: Christmas. Did you see the, um, there was a tweet that Macaulay Culkin, Home Alone, obviously, Macaulay Culkin put out a tweet the other day saying, do you want to feel old? I'm 40. (laughs)
2: Oh, no. Oh, "Oh, no. That makes me feel terrible.
1: Oh, no. Um, But yeah, Yeah. Christmas is just so it's going to be epic, even if it's just six of us. I think so. It's the best.
2: Yeah. And also, again, as you say, you just feel lucky to get on with your family. You know, so many, so many people don't for lots of good yeah. reasons or sad reasons whatever it is but actually i've always really liked spending time with my family you've and got awesome
1: family well
2: so do you and so it's Thanks. yeah it'll be it'll be lovely and you'll be calling leo of course your best friend obviously you'll yeah be Face like time catch with him. up on christmas eve oh, of course yeah. you do and day he can't yeah. stop calling you he no, needs I you don't. he needs your advice <laughs> he does i live without me <laughs>
0: Celebrating Togetherness was brought to you by Netta Porte and Chalk and Blade. Hosted by Sarah Bailey and Alice Casely Hayford, and produced by Laura Hyde. The executive producer was Ruth Barnes.